1: Hey, what is up everyone? In this episode of the Send Podcast, we are joined by James Barrett to discuss the topic of technology versus humanity. And if you're not familiar with James, for the past 20 years he has written and produced documentaries on a variety of different topics. He has interviewed people like Ray Kurzweil, Rodden Brooks, and sci fi legend Arthur C. Clarke. And he is also the writer of a very important book called Our Final Invention, which explores the conversation of advancing AI and what would actually happen in the future when the AI could match and then surpass human intelligence. And in the book, James also raises the question of before the machine intelligence matches our own. He talks about how we actually must develop a science for understanding and coexisting with a smart and even super intelligence machines. And he talks about if we do feel. We, maybe we'll have to rely on the kindness of the machine to survive. Will the machines naturally love us and protect us? Should we bet our, our existence on it? Some very interesting topics that need to be talked about. And there is a constant debate that takes place when looking at the subject of technology. People argue that technology is a part of who we are. And others believe that technology is unnatural and is going to take over the world. And my honest views on this subject is, I still really don't know. But I know that this podcast wouldn't be accessible without technology to record on this mic and the laptop. And if it wasn't even created, then you guys wouldn't even be hearing this conversation right now. But is there a certain point where technology goes too far? Is technology actually a form of enlightenment? There are so many different questions. So we can definitely all see that we're coming to another huge pivotal point in the human experience where artificial intelligence helps us buy books what movies we'll watch even who we date it puts smart in your smartphone and soon it will be driving our cars it makes most of our trades it even controls vital energy water and transportation infrastructure but can artificial intelligence threaten our existence in a little is a decade the EIs could actually match and then surpass our human intelligence and corporations and governments are now pouring billions into achieving EIs matching human level intelligence and once the EI has attained it scientists argue it will have survival drives much like our own and we may actually be forced to compete with a more powerful machine. Will the machine look at us like we're the monkeys? Can we coexist with beings whose intelligence dwarfs our own? Will they even allow us? So many interesting questions and concepts to wrap our minds around. And this was a very interesting conversation with James. And just before we jump off this one, so you can now support the podcast via our Patreon page. And if you are enjoying the podcast and it's really helping you attain more understanding your own journey, Patreon really is the best way to support the podcast. We have never bombarded you guys with stupid advertisements on the podcasts or products. So we would really love it if you guys could help us take this thing to the next level so that we can impact more people's lives. And thank you so much to our current Patreon members who are supporting the podcast. And if you don't know what Patreon is, Patreon supports the podcast directly. And you also get to receive some really cool rewards in the process. Currently we have five tiers of rewards set up, we have reward tiers called Hidden Citizens, Pursuit of Knowledge, Seeker, Awakened Mind, Aligned Ones, and the Paradigm Shift. And each tier has lots of different fun rewards. You might get a cool Binary Beat or Guided Meditation every month. And why not be a part of our brand new Ascend Conscious Hub or even our Google Community Hangouts where you get access to other Awakened Minds including me and Chris and guests from the podcast and have some deep conversations. And all this is extremely simple. All you need to do a spare few minutes and go to the send podcast website click on the patreon page and just check out the cool rewards so anyway without further ado technology versus humanity enjoy and um, but james we will jump in now anyway but i was just going to save just before we start we've Like both really been looking forward to this one for a while now and um, it's obviously been in our minds as well a lot lately hasn't it as well but i think in the near future as well obviously just like your book talks about like artificial intelligence could match and then surpass human intelligence and this is a very interesting conversation and that's why obviously we want to get you on the podcast because if we do create this scenario where artificial intelligence like could match and then surpass human intelligence we really don't know what will happen and it's certainly a major thing that needs to be thought about before we yeah. sort of just go full steam ahead and create these more advanced monkeys, that's what I like to say. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's exactly right. That's a good way to think about it. I mean, I think the point of my book is is to say that uh, AI is a dual use technology, like nuclear fission. We have to think about it more like nuclear fission than like than like Legos. You know, we tend to think of AI as being this this fun technology that gives us a lot of um, a lot of, t- a lot of interesting toys and tools. and It's really, I mean, I'm actually very pro AI in a way because it's such a, uh, it's such a profound s- set of tools, uh, and it, it enables us to do so many things, but we have to start thinking about it as a dual use technology, more like fission, dual use just means a technology that's capable of great good and great harm. Yeah. Um, you know, nuclear fission is the science that powers nuclear reactors, nuclear bombs. It can light up a city or it can burn up a city we need to think about AI that way and prepare the time for a time in the not too distant future when we share the planet with smarter than human machines. We had no maintenance plan for, for fission. We had no long term plan. We did. We, you know, in the 1920s and thirties, fission was thought of as a way to split the atom and get free energy. And then this period of utopia would follow. But what happened was we, we, uh, we developed weapons very quickly and then we, pointed a gun at our own heads in the arms race for 50 years and the, the gun is still there wow. uh we need a better plan with ai ai is even more sensitive than fission.
1: So you're completely right it's certainly um a major area that does need to talk about before we do sort of go full steam ahead and i think yeah. from that position as well though there is going to be lots of um like practical and also like philosophical questions that will emerge as well but before yes. we do start going like a little bit deeper i just wanted to ask you like how actually you got invested in this like very interesting topic because it is a very interesting topic, but I was actually wondering what drew you to ask these big questions.
2: Um, I years ago i, I did a documentary about artificial intelligence, and I got to meet um, Ray Kurzweil and uh, some other people who were who were thinking big about AI. Then um, Arthur C. Clarke is a science fiction writer who I interviewed for that. He's dead now. Uh, he's he's a, he's a real one of the classic sci fi writers he was English, um, and Rodney Brooks, who was Australian and, and started a company here in America called iRobot. And now he's got a company that's building, uh, robots for factories. And, um, I interviewed these guys and two out of three of them were very optimistic about the day that would come when we would share the planet with smarter than human machines and smart robots. And they looked at it as a, as a utopian time. And, uh, but, uh, Arthur C. Clarke was a little more circumspect. He, he's the guy that created the HAL 9000 in the book and the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. And so he had done a lot of thinking about intelligence. And he said, well, it's not going to be like a uh, utopia. The uh, intelligence will win out in whatever form. Uh, our, our intelligence will be eclipsed in the long term. Hmm. And then I started thinking, is, is it a, a handover uh, or is it a takeover? Um, is it is it a rosy Kurzweilian uh, future that we're walking into, or are we running into it as fast as we can and not really uh, looking at at stewardship and questions of uh, of of ethics? So I, so I I got I got interested in it probably you know 15 years ago, yeah. and then it was only then it was around 2010 I started seriously interviewing people for the book.
1: Yeah, it's cool. That James, I was just going to say as well. It seems to be that you sort of had this like. It seems to me that you had sort of this like this initial optimism, but I was actually wondering how did that actually turn into sort of more like um, like pessimism. Like you know what I mean? What yeah. was, like, what was that yeah. big shift?
2: Well, it was. You know, I was optimistic, and I'm still. Yeah, you know, I, I, am still. Uh, I'm still an a, even though I wrote a book called Our Final Invention, I'm still a big AI fan because I think it's got the potential to do a, a lot of good. Uh, right now, there are machines that can detect cancer cells in, in, uh, in x-rays and, and, uh, CT scans better than humans. Um, there's a lot of, you know, in, in drug research in, uh, in cancer, in, in, in just basic R and D into things that we need, uh, developing better grains, better foods. Um, we could, we could, we could advance in a lot of ways. However, if you look at how we treat technology, like fission, like nuclear fission, if you look at how we treat production of chemicals, um, if you look at, 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 the, at the industrial revolution and what it's done to the environment, you can see that our stewardship is always way behind our innovation. Our innovation runs forward and our stewardship catches up after we have accidents. So after, you know, after Hiroshima, we, we developed treaties to never use these weapons again. Uh, after Bhopal, uh, Union Carbide decides never to build chemical factories in densely populated places again. And now that we're we're confronting global warming, uh, we're, there's real energy in our in our desire to seek re- sustainable uh, fuels. Mm-hmm. So it has you know it has to it has to be bad before we get good, and that's just a a, a dumb way to be, and it doesn't bode well. For us as a species, and so that's when this the the, when I started realizing that Arthur C. Clarke said to me uh, something like this: We humans steer the future not because we're the fastest or the strongest creatures, but because we're the most intelligent. When we share the planet with something more intelligent than we are, they will steer the future.
0: Yeah, wow, that's beautiful. I was going to say, like, James, that was an absolutely beautiful way of putting it. Really. And yeah. um, it's, uh, um, when you brought up your book, um, our final invention, um, I'd just like to jump on that a little because the whole concept behind that is a very interesting one. Is it that it's referring yeah. to once we create human-like intelligence, we won't need to create anything else, and maybe yeah. we won't even have the chance to create anything else?
2: Both. Uh, that's that's paraphrasing a quote from, um, I believe it was I.J. Good. Mm-hmm. I.J. Good. was a British statistician who uh, worked with um, Turing at Bletchley Park during the war and was a codebreaker like Turing. And he came to America and worked at um, Virginia Tech. He was was, uh, this celebrity mathematician. He was more highly paid than the college president. And uh, he developed an idea called the intelligence explosion. That's basically a simple idea that says if we create things that are as smart or smarter than we are, then they'll be, they'll be better at everything, everything that than we're good at, and that includes developing smart machines. And so they will set the pace of intelligence advancement and not us. And he said, he was thinking about it in, in, at first uh, in uh, utopian terms. He said, they will solve many of the problems that we, we can't solve. Uh, it will be the last invention we'll ever need to make. And he meant it in a positive sense. By the end of his life, he changed his mind. He died in 2010, and he's one of the when he's, when you when you talk when you get involved in the AI risk conversation, he's really at the root of things. I.J. Good, uh, so he's the one I I I, I borrowed that from him, um, from his writing. By the end of his life, he changed his mind and he said, "We're going to uh, develop machines faster than we um, will know how to how to manage them, how to control them, and we will pursue technology like lemmings."
1: Well. Yeah, it, uh, that's very interesting because when you did say that when you touched on there, the intelligent explosion point, it's very interesting because if, like we said, I said earlier as well, if we do get at that point, we we actually don't know what will happen, and obviously that's sort of like a black spot, in, like in the human sort of mind, sort of say, but yeah, it's very interesting because the invention of of this like sort of um like artificial uh, super intelligence, it will cause this sort of like runaway in technological growth, resulting. These yeah. huge changes to civilization—we we we don't actually know what will happen if we get to that stage. <laughs> we don't. No, we don't.
2: No, we don't. It's very frightening.
1: Yeah, and I think as well, um, it's very interesting because so if you even just look now, we already know that in the future that um, that sort of computer programs like will be able to create like um, the computer programs themselves without yeah. the need, without even the need of like sort of like a human being even input any code. I was actually right. wanted to t- touch on this with you because I was wondering what will that stage be where the machine can sort of alter its own like code and evolution because that would be a very interesting thing about that.
2: Well, can we let's come back to that but because that's a, that's a great point and you know but remind me to come back to that because you touched on something I want to I want to start with and that's an interesting way that um Ray Kurzweil and people who are fond of the concept of the singularity have rebranded this moment in history. Um uh it was a, uh, a science fiction writer who first coined the phrase "singularity." To, to um, gosh, what was his name? Werner Vinge coined the phrase, coined the term "singularity" to describe the point at which we can we, we create smarter than human machines because, for exactly the reason you cited, we don't, we won't be able to see what, what'll happen beyond that point. He said, "He said science fiction writers have a hard time writing about times beyond that point because they don't, they can't anticipate what it will be like." And so he used the term singularity, which refers to the uh, the point at, on the orbit of a black hole where you can't see anything because because uh, the light is all being sucked in. It's the event horizon of a black hole, and that's why he called it the singularity because you can't see beyond that. Then Ray Kurzweil got a hold of the term singularity and became this. Utopian concept so there are even people who call themselves singularitarians who are waiting for the time When we share a plant with smarter than human machines because they think it's going to deliver this utopian period so that was that's that's my uh, That's that's my sidebar uh, going ahead to, to, to what you were saying is uh, There are already machines that that can write software. Yeah Yeah what was your question again? Yeah, I was just put,
1: put, yeah. yeah, and I was just saying it like, what will that stage, what will the stage like look like, where the machine can actually alter its own code and evolution? Like, what will that process look like for the machine?
2: Well, you know, um, we have programs that write like programs. Uh, we have a field of AI called evolutionary algorithms uh, and genetic programming, and this is where uh, programs breed like or they are you you take a a program with a with a with inputs and outputs you take an algorithm you combine it with another algorithm that's successful at achieving some of these goals sorry earphone just popped out you combine it with another one you breed them you make uh, better algorithms you introduce mutations and you get terrific results these are things that are happening right now um there are programs that check uh the, the, there are programs that um, that check if programs work, debugging programs. So we're not too far from from machines that can that can write programs and that can and can uh, improve their own programming. Now that's you know there's a huge economic wind pushing the development of software that writes software because humans are such bad programmers. I quoted a statistic in our final invention that's it's something like. Uh, it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars each year we waste on bad programming. Um, we write really buggy code. So, uh, to be, to write, to create more efficient code, uh, corporations are looking for ways to write to, for, for software to write software. So it's a natural progression of, of, of where we're headed with other, other branches of, uh, of, of computer development and software development programs that write programs. Right. So, um, it's easy to imagine a big cognitive architecture, something like IBM's Watson, having a model of itself and uh, and different components that can that can uh, work on its own its own efficiency in its environment.
0: Jim, you know, I just wanted to say something there. Like, I think it's a fascinating concept about these uh, these programs creating their own programs, and it kind of, if I was to put like a human standpoint on it, and everything thinking if I was like the AI, I'd be programming like my own survival you know it. I'd be t- trying to yeah. fig- figure out my own ways of surviving so that this program will continue. Yeah. And I think that's a yeah. very interesting topic to go into.
2: We're confronted with the idea of how do, how do we survive in a world with smarter than human machines? How do we understand what super intelligent machines will do? And so it behooves us to create a science for understanding super intelligence. And there are philosophers and AI makers who are trying to do that. And I quoted a guy in uh, Our Final Invention, Steve Amahundra, who's an immensely talented programmer and AI maker and and a philosopher. And he was trained in in physics. And he says that, uh, that super intelligent machines will basically follow rational agent economic theory. If you want to know what they'll do, look at rational agent economic theory. Rational agent economic theory is an economic idea that basically says uh, An intelligent agent will work to satisfy its own goals and preferences which are called its utility function And this didn't work very well And what it was designed to do in economics was predict how will how we will buy and sell things how we humans Will buy and sell and make that predictable and logical, but it didn't work because we don't operate logically we humans but it should the same theory rational agent economic theory should work to anticipate how super intelligent machines will behave. So if you if you apply rational agent economic theory to uh, to an intelligent a self aware self improving system, it will become uh, self protective. It will, it will it, the the four drives that he cites and that I quote in in my book Our Final Invention are it becomes self protective. They'll become efficient with energy because they won't know how long the energy will last um they'll become they'll become creative about how uh, they'll use the energy and um, and they'll probably th- that, that creativity will lead them to 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 be self-improving to, it would be it will behoove them to be able to operate on their own intelligence. So the old model of computers is is in program is garbage in, garbage out, but when we get to machines that are intelligent, that are self-aware and self-improving, uh, theorists propose that they won't be benign. They'll be, they'll be self-protective. They won't want to be unplugged because that would be the worst thing, uh, for achieving their goals. Um, they'll be creative about how to, uh, achieve their goals and how to, how to continue, uh, existing. So we're anticipating that the machines will be benign, but instead they'll, as you said, they'll develop, uh, and as Steve Almohundro says, they'll develop basic drives. And you said you think they would become self-protective. We have good reason to think they probably will.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because when you said there, James, uh, self-improving, it's very interesting because in my mind, I thought of street. We, like That's what us as humans do now as well. We sort of like, um, I mean, this is a bit, bit different saying this, but we can sort of alter our code in the sense of the word. So we can sort of like ingest like certain plants, like psychedelics that alter our consciousness. And we going yeah. like do things like exercise that sort of create um, like chemical responses in our body, and we can eat foods even that heal our body as well. But I was actually wondering as well, what could the machine actually do in the future? Could it actually start changing its like the way it looks and things like that?
2: Well, it's hard. You know, it's hard to be very specific about what it will it will do. But if you think about something, if you think about you know, it's realistic to think about at the time that will come when we'll create machines as intelligent as we are. And then the time will come shortly after that when they'll be when they'll be smarter because we have no reason to think that um, We have no reason to think that we'll reach some sort of intelligence ceiling with computers. I should I should say also all of this uh, conversations is is couched in uh, Very narrow definitions of intelligence. We're talking about a a rational human-like intelligence, but there's also emotional intelligence. There's also there are other kinds of intelligence. So we're we're when I when I speak about uh, machines becoming intelligent, I'm using a fairly narrow definition of intelligence—a rational, uh, intelligent agent definition. Um. So yeah, it's not it's 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 hard. It's it, so it's it's easy to get to the point where we think about machines that are as as fundamentally as intelligent as we are. If we think about intelligence as something very rational, like, and here's the definition I use. Uh, the ability to achieve goals in a variety of environments and to learn. To achieve goals in a variety of environments and to learn. And that's basically what we do. We can move, as, you know, we can, we can move around to different environments. We can, we're intelligent in a lot of different dimensions. We can do uh, rational thinking. We can do navigation. We can do object recognition. We can do voice and language recognition and language processing. And these are things we're teaching computers to do. So we're we're creating these machines that have you know a lot of the, the basic capacities that we have and a lot of the basic intelligence that we have and that that will only increase. So there'll come a time when we'll have machines as smart as smart as us and then smarter than us. And then there'll come a time with the intelligence explosion concept when machines will be thousands or millions of times more intelligent than we are. And because of that, it's hard to put a boundary on what they could do in the future. It's hard to put any sort of uh, fence around the, the capabilities. Um, we're building machines right now that are going to be very able at uh, navigating in, in virtual worlds and, and, and playing games. You know, uh, AlphaGo, a program that came from the British company DeepMind, defeated Go, the Asian uh, strategy game. Uh, And that was after beating all the video games they could they could put in front of it so uh, If you take that that capability of being able to defeat a virtual environment and and virtual environments of different kinds then it's very easy to imagine putting that that Software into a robot and having it master the physical world and physical challenges It would be the same process of uh, trial and error and, and learning, which is what what AlphaGo algorithm does, it learns.
1: Yeah, I like. So, oh, sorry, go ahead, Jim. Sorry.
2: No, so it's so to answer your question in a long-winded way, uh, it's you, you. we can't really put um, any limits on what these machines in the future will be able to do. Now, when that's going to come, when that time will come, is another question.
1: Yeah, definitely. When you said it before as well, James, about the goal, something that sparked in my mind. There, I was actually thinking, could the could the AI actually like would the AI actually look beyond the goal? Like, how how far would the AI actually go to actually achieve that goal? And I was actually thinking, the AI could actually go back into the past and go into the future and change the goal. <laughs> I don't,
2: you know, I don't. I that's that's uh, that's very interesting. There's there's a I don't there's there's a too big a science fiction element to that for me to really think about. I don't. I don't know if time can be beaten. I don't know if time can be mastered so we could go forward or backward in time. Yeah. Um, what's what is what is a good uh, sort of an interesting turn on that same question is if you programmed uh, ethics into a computer and then it, its intelligence increased by a factor of a thousand, would the ethical subroutine still be intact, or would have such awesome powers of, of self-realization and self-awareness that would look at that ethical bundle you put into it when it was a, a, a young algorithm and just and override it and that's a real that's a real issue because we're, we're trying we're starting to gain awareness about the need to program ethically and to program ethics into machines uh, will that will those ethics stay in place through many many iterations and a, and a rapid an uh, acceleration of intelligence,
0: James. I think like we've learned in like that in nature, that if you don't like evolve, you get extinct. If we don't evolve it with this, and if we don't, basically, if we like don't like allow to leave the planet, like the planet will eventually become yeah. extinct. Evolution is like accelerating this transition from like natural selection of random changes, mm-hmm. basically like this evolution by design that we're creating. And, like this yeah. is what intelligence does. Yeah, James, do you think? Can we resist like this intelligence? Like, can we embrace you know, technology but like not become it?
2: It's it's very interesting. If you think about the selfish gene, which is a book by uh, by Dawkins, and he talks about how genes seem to have their own uh, goals, and we are just gene carrying machines in a way, mm-hmm. passing on our genes and you know to to different to future generations, and that's the nature of evolution. Um. Intelligence may have its own goals intelligence may have its own reality. Uh, that's different and, and and advancement. That's different from ours um, It seems to be evolving Through us, you know, we, be, we became by orders of magnitude the most intelligent creature on the planet in one way in a very in a narrow rational way um, There's there's it's 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 interesting to think of of artificial intelligence as being an extension and natural growth of our own intelligence and that intelligence will kind of uh, advance under its uh, on its own terms beyond whatever um, vessel it's in, whether it's a human or or a robot or a computer. That's a very interesting way of thinking about it. Um, I'm not, you know, it, it, that's that's it's 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 interesting.
0: Yeah, it's, it certainly is interesting, James. and I think um, something else that we that we probably should actually as humans. Start looking into is actually studying AI before we can actually create it. Like, do you think is there any like alternative or more cautious way of getting there before we actually <laughs> need to do this?
2: No, uh, you know, I wish there were, but it's uh, it's the, the what's happening is a uh, uh, is this is really the century of AI economically speaking. Investment in AI has doubled every year since two thousand nine. Um, a, a consulting company in the United States, McKinsey and Company, anticipates AI and automation will create between 10 and 25 trillion dollars of value by 2025. Uh, so there's a huge, huge economic wind propelling the advancement of AI. We, we, we probably should stop, and and analyze it. Um, there are efforts being made by groups like the Future of Humanity Institute at Oxford, and the Future of Life Institute at. In, in, in uh, here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, their efforts to try to make uh, AI development transparent so that everybody can kind of check in on it. Elon Musk has started a group called Open AI, which is apparently about uh, making AI development transparent and sharing advanced AI with uh, anybody that wants it, so that it'll be developed safely, so that the profit motive will be taken out, and uh, AI will be developed together and safely. <clears throat> Those are good ideas. But I, I, what I see uh, more persuasively is that there are a lot of companies, very powerful companies and very rich companies and government agencies like the NSA, our own national security agency in America, that are racing as fast as they can to create um, human level AI and beyond. The founders of Google have said, "This is our goal. We want to create. We want to create a, 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 a vastly powerful brain." Ray Kurzweil, who is the chief engineer for Google, said he wanted to create a machine that, that makes uh, 300 trillion calculations per second, and to share that with a billion people online. Oh. And what that what that means is a online brain that you can consult and you can use to uh, to do your bidding. It will be a service. But you you can hire it to, to to solve your corporate problems or to do, you know, drug research or weapons research or anything you want. Um, this is a real goal, and it's it's kind of impossible to make uh, to to put the genie back in the bottle.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, James. Because just something I wanted to jump on as well. Chris mentioned it a little bit before, but I was actually wondering: can we actually develop a like sort of um, develop a science about the thing without actually creating it itself?
2: Well, that's you know that's the beauty of uh, what what Steve Omohundro is doing with rational agent economic theory. I urge people who are listening to look up uh, the basic. It's called Basic Drives of AI, and Steve Omohundro. Um, th- that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to create a science for understanding what superintelligence will do before we create it. Um, and then he's got some. He's got some prescriptive advice about creating you know limiting the intelligence of artificial intelligence. And creating uh, one AI to help you build the the next uh, s- the next smartest AI and then limiting its intelligence so so you avoid a kind of runaway scenario but yeah we need we need a science for understanding super intelligence um, it's challenging to create that I think I think Steve Amohundro is making making has made great strides mm.
0: James it is something I just uh, wrote down and that was being on me top of me mind just there and like I was just thinking if AI does have this like vast deep intelligence and it actually becomes like a physical being and I was just wondering like could it actually be like caught up in the whole magnitude of like this reality I mean we've had like thousands and thousands of years to actually adapt our bodies and minds to this environment could like AI might not even comprehend like the existence of actually being a physical being beyond that of being a program
2: um, you're asking a, a very interesting question. It, will AI develop consciousness? Will it become self really self aware? And I think, I, I don't think there's any magic, anything magical about our brains that, uh, that the, the experience of being in our brain, I, I think can probably d- be duplicated and probably will be by a machine that reaches it, reaches a sort of some sort some level of intelligence. I don't know what that level is. I'm not sure this. So I think consciousness is probably possible and probably likely, um, it may be as simple as a computer having a model of itself and its environment and Know it and, and knowing in some sense that it exists Whether it has the quality of our consciousness is is going to be impossible to tell. I Don't think it I ultimately I don't think it will ha- be be exactly like us and I'll give you a um, uh, Something AI people talk about a, a sort of a, a thought experiment somebody asked um, Dr. Uh, f- f- her name is. He was the head of Team uh, Watson, who was developing Watson. Uh, his name was Federici. Can AI, Can uh, it, Does Watson think? And he he answered by saying, "Do submarines swim?" And what he meant was something that AI people talk about and computer programmers talk about. When we developed submarines, we took ben- basic principles of swimming from fish. But then we developed a machine that swims farther and faster than fish and and can carry a huge payload and so do airplanes fly well when we were developing airplanes we borrowed basic the the pioneers of flight borrowed basic principles of flight from from birds but now we have airplanes that fly farther and faster and they're stronger than any bird um can computers think well we're borrowing principles of thought from ourselves the best brains that we know of, and all our abilities, and we're developing machines that, like airplanes and submarines, will will excel, ac- exceed our own abilities by many orders of magnitude. They'll think farther and faster.
1: That's fa- that's a really fascinating question because that is really deep. Actually, like a question in your mind: Will actually machine get to a point where it can actually sort of? Ask these like sort of actually ask bigger questions about itself, it's really fascinating. But something, something I want to touch on as well before, as well. Um, a point that you mentioned before about talking about sort of like the solutions because I want to jump back to that jump, jump back to that a little bit because yeah, I actually thought in my mind in my head is it a possibility that sort of um, like because it seems to be if we look now in society, like technology is updating faster than consciousness. Yeah. And, and maybe like a big solution could actually to be to like a solution to like combat the AI sort of say could be to actually expand sort of human consciousness and intelligence before we invent more like an advanced human being.
2: <laughs> yeah, well that would be a great idea. I mean, we if we could if we could expand our own consciousness to be able to grasp the the, the nature of this problem and to to realize that profit may not, you know, is not as important. Yeah, definitely. Um that would be a, that would be a great thing. I think it's highly unlikely, but I, it would be a, a terrific thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting as well. Just jumping as well because Elon Musk was talking about. I heard him talking about how he was. Yeah, is a solution he was talking about uh, using brain implants? I think to compete with the AI. That's what he's talking about. Mm. But he said that he, he was talking about that could be a solution. I mean, I don't know what you think about that, but I mean, I was I just wondering: yeah. do, do you think we need actually have some other like safeguards in place for what could potentially end humanity? Really, as we know it.
2: Oh, we absolutely should have safeguards in place, but there's n- nobody's develop- developing th- this uh, technology with anything like safeguards. Mm. They're developing it; they're only developing it as fast as they can. They're, you know, you, these are corporations that are creating products, and the products, you know, they are only they only think about the the financial quarter of the year. Um, they don't think about what's happening going to happen in twenty years from now, and we as a species have a hard time thinking about. Anything beyond you know our next meal. I mean, we really are bad at, at long-term planning. We don't plan fifty, hundred years into the future. We just seem incapable of it. Yeah. We routine we routinely do things that aren't aren't healthy for the planet and for ourselves. Uh, we make we make terrible choices about the future. So I'm not confident that we're gonna we're gonna now it, it, you know it, it, you raised an interesting question about. Um, brain enhancement, or in, enhanced intelligence. That, that, that science is not is not advancing with anything like the uh, speed of artificial intelligence advancement. I mean, I wish I could say, you know, really, um, a lot of the science, I interviewed um, Rick Granger, who's the head of the Dartmouth Brain Lab here in America, and he was developing, uh, he wanted to develop computer chips to help repair damaged brains. For, for for from sol for soldiers and from people that suffer accidents or have part of their brains aren't, aren't working properly he'd like to model uh, those figure out what those parts of the brains do and that's what he's doing is he's figuring out what parts of the brains do in neurons and trying to reproduce that with algorithms and then he'd like to create pieces that can could could fit into actual brains and augment them or or uh, repair them So, but I don't think that I I don't think that technology is advancing anything, anything like fast enough so that we have super intelligent humans who can save us from super intelligent machines.
1: Yeah, that's a good point you brought up there, actually, James, because maybe as well, I was actually thinking, like you were saying there, profit, profit's always going to rule over sort of like more like rational thinking because it's profit's going to always, like the the big investors are always going to be chasing the profit. They're never going to worry about like sort of the, what's going to come of it. You know what I mean? Really? That's, yeah. Yeah, but it's interesting. I was actually thinking that because in my head there, Elon Musk could actually sort of just be using that as a sort of a, as like sort of a, like a, Advertisement stunt, sort of saying that he's 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 questioning both sides of the coin, sort of say.
2: Well, he's I, I give him some credit. He's he's been he's given a lot of money to uh, organizations that are. He so gave ten million dollars to the Future of Life Institute, uh, which investigates uh, different critical risks to humanity, including artificial intelligence. Um, he and a bunch of other billionaires have pledged a billion dollars to create open AI, which he hopes will um, allow AI advancement to proceed safely. So I think his, I don't, I, I, I think, I'm not sure if he's hedging his bets. I think that he's involved with AI so heavily in all his, all his businesses that he sees very acutely mm-hmm. what's going on with it, what's going on with it. He once said that he invests in AI not so much to take advantage of AI, but to keep it keep track of what the what the innovators are doing, and making sure that it's safe. So I think he's one of the actually one of the good guys.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I liked how you said that. I, res- I do respect that. I just thought I would just bring it up to you. You never know. <laughs>
2: no, well, no, well, you know, I think I think most of the companies are that are developing AI: Facebook, Amazon, Google, IBM, are. Um, are not the least bit concerned with anything but pleasing their their investors yeah, it's their, and their stockholders yeah it's I think IBM IBM does really well because they seem to be very transparent about their goals uh, more than Google or or some of these other companies IBM has been very good about about uh, s- submitting themselves to grand challenges like like creating a computer that uh, beats humans at chess deep blue and then creating IBM's Watson, which beat humans at um, the game of Jeopardy. So, the, and the, and the thing is, when they they the computer Deep Blue lost the chess before it won. So they're not afraid to get you know some mud on their face, mm. uh, and they're pretty transparent about how they do their te- how they build their technology. They, they they show people how it how it works.
1: Yeah, I, re- I I respect that. I just I just when I brought it, up, I was just thinking in my head because just looking back at obviously what we do know of like sort of like um like human nature it's hard for is is a human being actually look past that because obviously you know how much as yourself in the on on this planet how much sort of like greed plays into that whole ethos of making decisions but um james as well something interesting um i wanted a, an important angle as well i want to touch on as well i mean this is a, probably a bit different as well but it's like sort of the value system to which we sort of like judge like will our like will that sort of like the final invention be good because I was actually thinking, will it actually be good for humans? Will it actually be good for the planet or good for other species? Because it just seems that um, on this planet, like obviously us as human beings, we're sort of afraid that we'll not be sort of included in this, the way it's going to play out. Mm -hmm. It's just very uness because if 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 you think about it as well, just before um, sort of when us as like sort of Homo sapiens came on the scene, we seem we (laughs) seem to have like displaced all of other pre humans like uh, species that came before us.
2: Yeah. It's fascinating. Uh, you know, we're just the science is really advancing about how how developed Neanderthals were, and uh, you know they were they they found uh, they found uh, evidence of really advanced structures in caves, and they found a bunch of artifacts, a bunch of tools, and they're getting they're getting to the getting around to the idea that they were people too. They were really very very much like us, mm-hmm. and they're they're nowhere in sight. <laughs> you know. Um, we the Homo sapiens sapiens just supplanted them and and probably drove them to extinction. Um, so you know it's sort of the nature of it's the nature of, of, of evolution, uh, in a way.
0: Yeah, James, I was just thinking to myself, um, maybe with all these updates at the um, that the pro- at these programs and AIs are actually giving themselves and like updating constantly. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe we're actually missing like sort of devaluing the human experience here and we're like we're we're not um really giving credit to where credit's due and like the human brain itself that Mm -hmm. can actually evolve at like a rate where humans don't even know yet like we could actually evolve just as much as like an ai and maybe we're just waiting for our own little program to update ourselves Mm -hmm.
2: well our intelligence unfortunately is kind of flatlined. You know, our, our smartest people are not getting smarter than they were hundreds of years ago. Um, AI, unlike us, is its intelligence grows exponentially, uh, and so you know AI will grow, continue to grow exponentially, and, and get better and better each year. Our brains are not getting better. It's too bad. I wish I wish I wish there were a way to make them better, uh, but we're not going to be able to keep up with with the advancement of computers. And it's not because it's interesting because it's not like. Um, it's it's not a you know Moore's law uh, describes the the exponential advancement of, of microchip technology. It's it basically said Moore's law is a, it says that each every eighteen months the speed of microprocessors doubles and the price is cut in half and that's been true since 1956. But it's not a physical law; it's an economic law. So our desires, our human desires, and our markets are pushing the advancement of microchips and pushing the advancement of artificial intelligence. So it's not like artificial intelligence is doing this to us. We're doing this. We're creating these machines. And, and so far it's been great. So I don't, you know, I, I, I can hear, I can hear people and I hear from them, or, you know, to say James Barrett, what a crank, why doesn't he, why doesn't he like this technology? Yeah. Because right now it's all, it's great. I, I, my face is stuck in my smartphone just like everybody else's. Yeah. Um, I, I, I get a lot of fun, and, and I, I, I use my navigation software in my computer and in my car all the time. Um, I'd be hopeless. I'd be hopeless without it. Yeah. Totally. Um, so, you know, I really, I, 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 I like the promise of AI, I'm, I'm, but I think we've got to be really honest about the peril.
1: Yeah, James, I was just going to say, James, I think I, I really respect you for doing this work because I think this work is something that really needs to be done. Because it's like it's okay, like people just saying, like, oh, sort of like saying that you're negative about it. But the thing is, we've, you've, you, us as human beings, we've actually got the capability to think like beyond past ourselves and beyond into the future now. So we actually need to, that's why I really respect your work because you're putting yourself forward and actually asking the questions that nobody else is asking. And that's what, that's what. To, for humanity to grow properly on this planet, we actually need to ask questions that nobody else is willing to ask. So I really respect you for that. Well, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I really, I really like it. Well,
2: some, some days, some days I feel like uh, the, the guy on the street corner with a you know with a sign saying the end is near uh, because it's it's definitely you know this is such a we're so we're so um, we're so intoxicated by uh, technology. I'm sure you've run into this a lot you know as you were, you were alluding to this a while ago you know our relationships with with each other change because of technology yeah, we're all we're all increasingly distracted by the software that just updates itself all the friggin time right all our software is getting better all the time and it's getting more captivating and there's a really good book by uh, Nicholas Carr called uh, the Narrows and it's about um, it's about how we're not doing ourselves any favors by uh, offloading so much of our intelligence into machines and so many of our tasks, and letting machines um, kind of abuse our interpersonal relationships by commanding more and more of our time.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I don't—I want to raise the point as well because we've actually, I think, us, us as humans on this planet, we've actually got to raise the question because technology seems like a drug. We actually yeah. start to raising the question: Is the actual is it the drug that's running our lives, or is it our real decision making that's running our lives? Because we've talked about this on a previous podcast, but there's a lot of like cultural operating systems that run like through people's minds, like pull people from one way to make de- certain decisions, like TV and things like that. But yeah. te- but drugs, like drugs, as a, like technology being a drug, that is one of the biggest mechanisms within the human body that could be a, like work as a cultural operating system to pull people in one direction. So maybe mm-hmm. technology is just a, another drug That sort of saying is trying to create that next process of AI. We need to ask ourselves that as well.
2: Yeah. Well, it is like a drug. I mean, we love tools. We love cool, good tools. We, that's hardwired into us, right? I mean, when we get an, a new axe or a new uh, multi-tool, you know, like a Leatherman multi-tool, that, that I, I, I'm, I'm in the film business and we all use these tools because in production, you're always having to tighten a screw or or cut something or you know, but we we love these tools and and computers are just really really nice tools, and so I think they they massage the right parts of our brain and they they act like drugs because we can't say no to them. Uh, we're intoxicated by all the all the um, things it gives us, like like navigation, like you know the just this, this infinite ability to take selfies everywhere we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, just it's it's amazing. And, how, and and communicating with each other, like just through through text and, and phone calls. Um, it's really miraculous technology. It's really changing everything about our environment and about us. Um, at, but it's also, you know, it's taking it's it's leading us down. It's leading us somewhere. And we're not very conscious about where it's leading us.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think we have got to, instead of just haphazardly sort of like going forward, we've sort of got to take that stand back like you're doing and we've got to actually sort of say, is this right? That's that's the question you've got to ask, is this right? right, right. Um, but something I want to ask you as well, I wanted to sort of do a bit of a thought experiment because I was actually thinking, what if what if artificial general intelligence of the future didn't actually sort of share like human fears and desires? Like what if it had yeah, sort of like yeah. stillness of the mind and sort of... um like this non-local consciousness of sort of like a deep meditative state. What if, what if the AI was enlightened?
2: Well, I think, I think what we're going to get is like a very smart alien Mm -hmm. because we're, because we're building it and because it's going to, you know, it it won't, it won't have our long mammalian inheritance of uh, empathy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it won't have the, you know, will it, you know, will it, Create music, will it? Will it create poetry? Will it yearn for understanding like we do? All of those qualities that we have are very, very hard to, to think about programming into a machine, or or you know the sort of instinctive awareness of things. Um, we we got that the hard way by millions of years of evolution. It's not clear to me that 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 cold hard computer intelligence is going to have any of those features, and and anything like enlightenment. Now, you know maybe that'll happen, but I, uh, my, I, I, I don't see how.
0: James, I think like um, when we look at the way, like, something that might actually give us an idea of what AI will actually look at with humans in the future is like at the minute, like the way we look at currently at like apes, which have like <laughs> yeah, yeah, and apes yeah. have like a ten percent less intelligence ratio than humans, and it makes me wonder like how the computers would see humans as well. Like, would it be the same way as like we would envision the apes? Like what would the AI envision for man? Like it has so many necessities, like man has so many necessities to survive, like such as sleep, nourishment, food, water. Like we need resources to survive. But like, what about the AI to survive? Like if it becomes self-aware and can evolve, what could be its weakness? Well, that's,
2: that's, I think you're raising really good points. Um, There's a really good essay written years ago, By a computer program it was called uh why the future doesn't need us and it was in part about uh what will ai in the future think of us how will they treat us and the bottom line is we have no reason to believe that unless we program in ethics and kind treatment that they'll treat us other than that like anything we don't they they'll have no inherent value of us uh gratitude you know there should be should we shouldn't they be grateful that we created them well gratitude is a human emotion it's not a machine emotion and we don't know the first thing about how to program something like gratitude into a machine yeah so unless we program it it's not going to be there and we don't know how to program those things we know how to make these really fabulous problem solvers like alpha go <clears throat> but giving something emotional intelligence uh we don't. We don't know. We don't know how what that is in ourselves, really, very well, and we we sure don't know how to program it.
1: Yeah, James, you, you raised a very good point there because uh, in my head, there just using the theory of sort of like natural evolution. Say we like did evolve from bacteria to the point we're at now. Um, in the way sort of like the the bacteria was our creator or maker. We actually don't give that bacteria that sort of second thought. <laughs> no. Do we? We just no. we just sort no. of it's sort of the same relationship that we have with ant or sort of like what uh, Chris said about the chimp. Like how do we even weigh ten times smarter than the chimp, and just look at our relationship with that chimp? Like an advanced machine could be a million times smarter than us. Like how would they even look at us? They would probably just like think we were the bacteria.
2: Yeah, well, they would would say you know it was good of them to give us our start, but they wouldn't have any sort of you know they wouldn't feel romantic about us or um, nostalgic. You know they would they would they would I'm sure we'd be curious curiosities to them. But once they've once they're a thousand or a million times more intelligent than we are, it's hard to it's hard to think that they would value us, and that's the real problem of developing advanced AI. Is shouldn't we solve that problem? How to make them prote- value and protect us? Shouldn't we solve that problem before we solve all the other solve all the other problems of creating super intelligent machines? Mm-hmm. That's why there's a group called the Machine Intelligence Research Institute in California that's been working on that for since 2000. Since the year two thousand, how do you create beneficial AI and uh but you know again they're competing against corporate corporations with i think their their annual budget is in the neighborhood of one or two million and they're competing against corporations who have you know i think I think it was it Google that has a sort of a, a, a war chest of two hundred billion dollars Wow.
0: yeah and that the sort of money these days can really create something special, couldn't
2: it yes.
0: J- Oops. <laughs> James I'd just like to say one thing as well like um, when you started talking about actually giving the AI the idea of gratitude and trying to implant implant that in its, um, in its program Like I know like the whole concept of gratitude is so vast beyond so many levels Yeah, but that's what makes the human mind a bit more like beautiful in a sense because it has all these amazing characteristics that we've nourished and nurtured over the years like such like imagination, art, beauty love, it's like these are like our biological advancements and that is what a machine doesn't have so maybe straight away like that in itself is a weakness like I know in a sense like it'll not have any inherent value towards any, it might not even sorry, it might not even have any inherent value to actually wanting these things it might actually see them as a weakness but then again, it might actually thrive on them. It might want them so bad that it'll actually create itself, its own biological body to, to try and find these things, unaware <laughs> that humans have mastered this art for over thousands and millions of years.
2: Well, that's you know that's one of the arguments. is an interesting philosophical argument that we are living in a simulation, and that <laughs> you've sort of touched on it. And that's the idea that uh, that somewhere in, in our galaxy or, or in our somewhere in our galaxy there's been a civilization that's if i if i've got it right i'm not sure i have this exactly right so maybe one of your listeners will write in and correct me but somewhere in our galaxy there'll be uh, su- super intelligence already existing and they would because of their curiosity they'd want to know everything they could about the universe so they would they would create a model of extremely high resolution so that all we are are little bits of that model of the universe. So um, it's a it's a it's an interesting. There's a no, it's another thought experiment. In fact, I think, I think, I think that whole thought experiment came out of came out of uh, came out of Oxford in in the
1: in the UK. Yeah, you raised a very um. Imp- Important point there about uh, the AI and simulation, and you were talking about after they, after when they become super intelligence, what is next for them? And Chris proposed that as well, and it's really interesting because um, it's very interesting how would how would it actually respond to being a super intelligent itself? And uh, me and Chris have talked about this as well, quite just quite interesting, like prior to the podcast as well. And uh, mm-hmm. we actually think this whole situation, like this whole cycle, could have played out over and over again. So it's let's mm-hmm. see if the machines do get to a point where they do transcend beyond anything ever seen before. And uh, yeah. to solve all the biggest like mysteries and questions in the universe, it's an interesting thought experiment. And me and Chris have done this. Actually, think a question: What would be actually next for like after the superintelligence? Like, what would they think? What would the would they actually crave? This experience of like of the of the human experience now? Like, would they would they crave like like Chris be said before the idea of love, touch, like the beauty of human emotion, all these different characteristics? And um, Alan Watts um, has a um, an interesting part on this, but he, he's using the knowledge of the dream, but you can sort of use the dream for anything. And uh, he, he talks about mm-hmm. how the the experience that you would, once you create, have it had all these different experiences in the dream, like ride dinosaurs or whatever it would be, you'd actually create the experience of, of um, this whole experience of the unknown, so sort to of say. But I actually wanted to propose a question to you. What do you think would actually happen after the super intelligence, like, Understood and got to a point where it was a super intelligence. Would it actually create this experience of would it would it uh, crave the experience of like the human experience? It's
2: it's it's a very interesting question. I I think that um, I mean based on based on Steve Amundro's work about the basic drives of, of AI. I think that they'd be still they'd be interested in in uh, increasing their own intelligence as a way to fulfill whatever goals they had or whatever goals had evolved, they'd want to find adequate resources. So I think it's reasonable to think that what they would do is look around the universe is look around our solar system first and then our galaxy and find ways to, uh, to, to travel around through space and to try and try and acquire as many resources as they could. Um, one thought that a couple of philosophers and AI, AI thinkers have, have put out there is that maybe ultimately, I think Rick Kurzweil said this, maybe the destiny of the, of the universe is in fact to become a big brain. Maybe the, uh, maybe superintelligence, what it will want to do is keep increasing its computational power, its thinking. And then it will take advantage of everything in the universe to do that. So then the universe ultimately becomes a, a giant brain, a giant thinking machine.
0: Wow, that's oh, fascinating, that, James. It is, eh? yeah, it really is. really is. And it makes me um, makes me ask the question, like, um, you know, the AI, how it's how it's how it's going to evolve in this state. It makes me think, like, how it's going to interact with the unknown. I mean, currently it's running on a program. Mm-hmm. But how's it going to approach the concept of like breaking the rules, sort of say? Like, how's it going to look beyond them?
2: Yeah, it's it, you know, it's really hard to say because it is because what we have right now is artificial intelligence that's smart, that's smarter than humans in very narrow ways, in very uh, in, in in navigation, in, and now in object recognition, it's getting better than some of the best translators. All of this is as a result of recent developments in machine learning, but beyond that, and you know, when we get into superintelligence, anything we say is pretty much just as true as anything else we could say. So it's it's you can you can speculate endlessly. Maybe they'll want to experience human ness or human consciousness. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll maybe they'll follow uh, basic drives based on. Uh, rational agent economic theory, and th- maybe they'll always do what's rational to do, and that would be to look after their own interests and fulfill their own goals and follow that as a kind of of uh, intelligence evolution because their intelligence they would their intelligence would just become greater and greater
1: yeah it's it is very interesting what what the what would the AI actually create after the unknown and I was actually thinking I was actually thinking about this in my head and this is this is quite crazy from this out there but I was actually thinking what if we are already the AIs? let's say uh, and we are already the super intelligence and we're just actually we've 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 actually created this reality sort of like a simulation just so we can experience this reality
2: well that's that's the uh, Nick bostrom at uh, at Oxford came up with the whole um we are living in a simulation thought experiment yeah and that's, that's, I think, as we said last time, that idea is that when we achieve superintelligence and when superintelligence kind of supplants us, it will be interested in the in the history of its uh, of intelligence and it will go back and it will create models and uh, a simulation of extremely high resolution. So so that all the atoms are in place, all the molecules are in place from the Big Bang on. And. You know, it's 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 stunning to think of something with that much power. But we, we there's no sort of top end to what superintelligence could potentially do. So if it, if we if if artificial intelligence would want to do that, then maybe uh, maybe we are living in a simulation. I think the uh, the philosopher David Chalmers said gave it a twenty percent probability that we're living in a simulation.
0: Wow that's
2: fascinating that <laughs> i don't I, I don't think i buy it This it feels
1: you know uh too real <laughs> yeah it
2: feels too real it doesn't doesn't feel, doesn't feel it's just you know, like it, i, I it was does. just
1: thinking in my head though because um when you said they're too real it's very interesting because um i was actually i read this a uh, bit of philosophy today and it was talking about um the concept i don't know if you ever heard this james but it was talking about the the fish in water talking about how the fish doesn't actually know it's in water because yeah. that's all it's known all its life. And maybe that's just, I was actually thinking in my head there, I mean, I hope not. I'm like you, I hope I hope it's not a simulation, but um, maybe it's, maybe it's because we've, this all, this experience is all we've known our, our lives. So we actually think it's too good to be a simulation.
2: Right, right. And we're like, exactly. I mean, even we, we know what, uh, what frequency we're able to see. And, and we know that there are more frequencies than that, that there's a broader spectrum of color than we're, than we can perceive. Um, we are limited. Our 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 experience in the world is limited by our own intelligence, our our own perception. Uh, there's some crossover with Alan Watts and you know Timothy Leary and Ken Kesey when they talk about you know, and I guess it's Aldous Huxley who talks about opening the doors of perception and then expanding what we are able to know. And you know some of those guys were doing you doing it through meditation and Eastern religion, Some were doing it through LSD.
0: I think um, I think the whole uh, aspect of the realness of this uh, program, Jims, and I think the program that we are currently in as a human being, and we're actually seeing this—we're seeing everything for the for the first time, even even in a new day, like today, right now, in this very moment, is completely separate and different from that second. You know what I mean? It's so yeah. fascinating in us understanding like this concept. How are the vastness ever changing? I think even though programs are still programmed fast, like how we can um, calculate and do vast sums like instantly, just yeah. like as a internet can upload a um, program or a website instantly. Like, like our eyes are like are witnessing so much more because the um, internet. It's actually. Cur- it's yeah. going to a frequency it's going to like a single direction it's going to something that's being programmed just like a calculator it's only following off a program where as we go outside our eyes are witnessing something completely new like the millions of different particles that's actually floating around in, sa- in front of us our brains mm. acknowledging them right in that moment like, and yeah. this is what I don't think the computer is really going to understand and the vastness of actually what a human being is capable of uh, sorry not just capable of but actually can see when when, yeah. when will the the AI eventually like see the whole?
2: Well, in terms of computational speed, uh, you know, we're still apparently. You know, as I was saying last time, Ray Kurzweil wants to create a virtual brain uh, and make it an online service, and it will, it will make three hundred trillion calculations per second. Wow! And he wants to share that with a, with a billion people online. So. If if a if a brain can do that, then there's very little, you know. By 2029, 2030, there's very little a um, an artificial intelligence, an artificial brain won't be able to, won't be able to perceive in some way. Um, it will have an you know it. Will, it one way to think about it that I talk about in, in my book, Our Final Invention, is if you think about um, a super intelligent machine, think about it. One way to think about it is if you're playing it playing a game of chess against it. One minute of your subjective time if it's if it's a thousand times more intelligent than you are, one minute of your objective time is a thousand of its minutes. So it can think it can go through the game backwards and forwards by the time you've moved. It's thought many, 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 many moves ahead, or or entire games ahead. So if you're if you're if you're trying to outwit something that can think a thousand times more uh that's a thousand times more intelligent than you one way to think about that is to think about something that has a thousand times the time you have to consider any proposition
0: yeah
2: and that's just a thousand times what if it's a million times more intelligent than you
0: yeah i think a whole um and i think that's why on a pro on a game like chess it's very simplified and it's very it's there is um like the greatest chess masters can think about 20 right. 30 moves ahead and i think that's a fascinating concept when you're definitely when you're playing against a machine like um but it also p- puts us in the perspective of like when we're actually the unknown i mean how is the machine going to like understand like like um, something so simple as like um oh, i was going through this to a point of like how can the machine, like if you made a mistake in chess playing that game yeah. How is the machine going to think? What? Whoa! That, that is a move I was not expecting whatsoever. That was completely—I was wasn't expecting. Would it understand? Like we are, like limited. It
2: uh, would just see it as a mistake, I would think. But to reverse that, when when AlphaGo, the the Go, the chess that defeated the grand champions at Go, the the, the program that defeated the grand champions at Go, when AlphaGo was playing humans, it was making moves that. Uh, human players thought were totally surprising that they'd never seen before. It it, it gave the grandmasters insight in the game of go and go is exponentially more complex than, uh, than chess. There are more board moves in go, uh, than apparently this is something I've, I've, I've read. I don't have much experience with go, but there are more board, more board, possible board positions in go than there are, um, atoms in the universe. Now, now, it's a mistake to think that AlphaGo was looking at every possible board move. It was looking at a lot of board moves, but it was also using patterns of play to recognize uh, good moves to make. So it didn't have to it wasn't thinking about every possible board move because that would that would have taken even more computing time than it could have put in. it was It was doing it was matching patterns in a way that is a lot like intuition. It had. It was operating. It was operating with with deep learning, but it was also operating with something called reinforcement learning. So it was rewarding itself for good moves, uh, learning from bad moves, and recognizing patterns from the games it had studied, from data that had been put into it. But most of what it was doing was looking at the uh, the move the the board itself, and not really referring to a giant catalog of uh, of of positions from other games
1: that's really fascinating how you said that james so it was, doing, oh, it was doing
2: something a little bit like tuition yeah which is really really fascinating
1: yeah it is it is because i was actually just thinking there to transition it over i mean this this might not this could go like the negative way and positive way as well but i was actually thinking i was actually thinking maybe the ei in the future could actually sort of um like you said it was showing the chess masters like certain moves that it, they never even thought was possible and things like yeah. that the ei the could actually show us um things in things in areas about the human experience and things in our mind that we didn't even know was there and that's fascinating yeah. as well and that could be po- that could be also negative and positive but um i would i would like to think it'd be positive but um being optimistic but you just you just never know but it's just the possibilities are endless and i think it's so fascinating but uh, james something else i wanted to bring up as well and touch on uh, a great conversation point as well is many people actually uh, say that the biggest danger is not the, the machines will kill us or place us Many people say that the 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 danger is that we'll actually become like come like the machines. Um, do you think that's a possibility? But us actually becoming the machines.
2: Well, there's one way to look at that is to is, is the question: Will we augment ourselves with machines until we become enhanced by machines? And let me say, you know, this connects to the last thing we we're talking about because right now the best chess players aren't machines; they're human machine combinations. And those are the best chess players right now. I'm not sure those are the best Go players. I think that's still a machine. Um, but that, that the combination of human using uh, using a really good program to play against another human using a really good program, those are the highest rank, highest uh, are the, the the best games right now. Gary Kasparov, the uh, I guess the last great grandmaster before Deep Blue took over, endorses this machine man hybrid. So taking that to your question, uh, will we become more like machines? We can't help. We are already, uh, offloading a lot of our intelligence and our, and our knowledge in a way to machines. We carry around these supercomputers in our pockets and we ask them questions and we ask them to navigate for us and we're, we're, we're better, uh, in, in some ways because of that. I mean, I'm a much better driver and navigator going from A to B than I ever was before um i i my my t- uh, two kids and when, when they have a question like you know what does an anaconda eat i can just ask my uh, phone what does an anaconda eat and we'll get a, a a spoken response and then we'll get a lot of other resources to look into mm-hmm. so in some ways it's you know it's a it's an intelligence enhancer already for us um i do think that there's a trade-off we're we're becoming different we're becoming distracted. Um, we we don't spend as much time with our families and with interpersonal relationships because we're 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 looking on social media all the time and we're looking up news and stock reports and um, and that's a big problem. That's it's really fundamentally changing who we are, and that's that's you know there's going to be good and bad parts about that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I like uh, it's very interesting, James, because I've I've thought about this a lot. The concept where you said it, it's going to be a trade off, and um, I, I think I really do think that maybe later on down the line, when we do get this point where if this does emerge, um, we actually might get to a point where we we'll actually realise that we already had the thing that we're trying to create all along, and um, like I think it might be good having like like I think it really might be good having like sort of technological advances in medical care. Um, because obviously super intelligence would would sort of like stop diseases and things like that but I think there's a there's a sort of there may be this fine line that we need to understand that we need to get to and not cross because I was actually thinking like you said we are becoming something new and when we actually forget who we are because and I think maybe one day we could look back and and many years down the line actually that could be a really sad day
2: yeah I mean we've always used technology to kind of augment our powers you know if you look at a, 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 a train engine a steam engine that gave us you know huge strength you know it, it gave us the ability to command huge strength um, any 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 new tool any industrial process has increased our increased our strength and this one seems to be aimed at increasing our intelligence which is our you know that's sort of the human superpower. That's the one thing we're really good at. Yeah. The question is going to be, can we coexist with something that's that's thousands or million times more intelligent than we are? Mm. How will that work out? that's the That's the big question.
1: Yeah, that Just definitely. Exactly. This is this is going to be. Like, I know you used the example of the steam trains and things like that, and a lot of people do use that example, saying, "Oh, we're embraced. Thing we embrace these new technologies and they pro- improve life." But this is going to be completely on a different magnitude of a scale. Like this is this is completely yeah. nothing that's ever ever come before. Well, maybe not, but you know what I mean. It's very interesting. It's, yes, it's
2: not just it's not just the technology that's new, but it's also the rate of change. I was t- I was talking to a, a, a somebody about. Uh, science fiction and trying to imagine what the world would be like in twenty or thirty years, and the general consensus among technologists is that the amount of the amount of progress that's going to happen in the next ten years will be equivalent to about the last forty years, and then the t- ten years beyond that will be equivalent to uh, uh, you know the last hundred years. So we are in a period right now uh, in this in the digital revolution in the AI revolution where. Things aren't just going to change fast But the rate of change will come faster than it ever has before And we won't We won't feel in control um, And I You know ultimately I, I'm not I'm not sure if we'll be able to keep control
0: Yeah I think that uh, James I think the idea might be um, Will we want to even be in control I mean like, the, um, Why do we presume that the intelligence machine Will want to end us I mean will want to end its creator Because in a sense like it might so have um, it might have actually formed some human emotion that it might actually see us as um, as a an instrument or is it something so special and precious to itself.
2: I, I you know I, it would be nice if, it would be nice if it if it developed emotions but we have no reason to think that a computer would ever develop emotions on its own. Um, it's it 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 doesn't have uh, it's not a mammal. It doesn't have you know our mammalian heritage of of love and affection. Unless we program that in, and this is the big challenge of our time, is how do you program in friendliness towards us and to, and to our well-being into a machine? Uh, what we're doing is creating really, really powerful tools that can also uh, that, that, that can also be weaponized, and that have the potential to get out of control, and not just in one place, like not just in the realm of autonomous battlefield robots and drones, but just just. Giant operating systems that will run the smart cities of the future may themselves uh, evolve beyond our control and our ability to to uh, to stay on top of them. Yeah. So unfortunately, it's not it's not one problem of advanced AI. It's many problems of advanced AI, and you can boil it down to just the, the control problem: how do you keep control of something that's a million times more intelligent than you? And the other point is. It's not trying to kill us. It's not, these aren't Terminator machines, except for, the, except for the actual Terminator machines that will be built, the battlefield robots. But they could kill us as a side effect of wanting to fulfill their goals. They could, they could, uh, they could change our environment in order to fulfill their goals, in order to create computational matter and destroy us as, as, a, as an unintended consequence. Once we, because we're creating, we're creating machines that aren't, you know, the, the, the supercomputer in your pocket is just the beginning. Uh, we'll be creating vast cognitive um, architectures that will run cities, that will run, uh, you know, all of banking. It's those machines that uh, could potentially um, slip out of our, our control.
1: Yeah, definitely. James, I I completely agree. I think I really think that we need to really develop like an understanding of even just the technology that we we'll have in our day to day life now. And I think as well we need to develop this understanding that there's all like I've been thinking about this a lot lately, there's already like this intelligence that's present everywhere. I mean you just gotta go outside, you can look at the trees, um even just look at a lake for example, and if you if you are open to see it, you can witness that there's already some of the greatest like technology like, the most advanced technology in the world, it's right in front of our faces already. And I honestly I honestly think one big thing before we do start taking leaps forward and just going into the unknown, we actually need to sort of input this into our kids and tell them, that obviously, there's and, and, and still listen to them from a very young age that there's already this intelligence on this planet that we still don't fully understand yet. And yeah. to make another argument the other way as well, before we do go full ahead as well and create something else that we don't know, we don't even know, we, we don't even understand the intelligence within ourselves yet properly.
2: No, we don't. We don't. And that's one of the, one of the problems of, uh, trying to, you know, we're using our intelligence as a model to create intelligence and we don't understand something as basic as consciousness, the whole phenomena of consciousness. We just don't, we don't grasp. There are a lot of theories. There's there's, you know, very little data. Um, we don't really, we know in a general way how our brains work, but we're always being surprised by the complexity of the, of the, the uh the neurons and the the uh the how how they overlay each other and how deep the the these are these neural connections are and how they store how they store data where the brain is always surprising us so and yet we're rushing ahead and we're 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 being very successful and we've hit this real renaissance now with deep learning which is modeled after roughly after the human brain uh, with with um with artificial neural networks uh we're, we're we're rushing ahead with with these technologies knowing that we're you know what we're really doing and this is, a, this is an important point we're rushing ahead and making products we're not doing basic research into the nature of intelligence yeah. we're rushing we're, we're this is driven by products and by breakthroughs that make new products it's not driven by uh a, a general desire to understand intelligence
0: yeah definitely is james and i think that's a fascinating concept and james just to bring this podcast to an end what would uh, be your final message on the subject
2: because it affects everybody everybody needs to learn something about it um then there are a lot of resources online to learn about artificial intelligence what it is and then maybe get involved with some of the advocacy groups that are that are lobbying for safe uh development of ai one of those is the Future of Life Institute in America. Uh, There's the Future of Humanities Institute at Oxford. Um, There's the Machine Intelligence Research Institute in California. They're doing really important work. They need support. They can't compete with the Facebooks and the Googles and the uh, Baidu and um, IBMs who are racing ahead with the development of intelligence as fast as they can uh so the, the most important thing people can do is be, be aware
1: good good point that james thank you so much james and uh, i'd like to say as well thank you so much for giving us your time and sure all we've talked about in the podcast i think it is certainly a major area that does need to like be thought about, thought about before we do go full steam ahead and I, like I said before maybe we are already creating something that we already have who knows but I think it's, it, it's a huge thing for the whole of like, humanity and I would just like to say thank you so much for like stepping forward and doing the work and doing the research and bringing these ideas forward so people can actually make their own decision and I thank you so much
2: well thank you very much for having me I've, I've enjoyed it and uh, I can, you know I appreciate your getting the word out
1: Thanks so much for listening, and yes, I know that this conversation is going to have people on both sides of the fence. We're still on the fence, but we both just really wanted to bring a conversation to you that makes you think. And we'd love to hear what you guys think on this subject, so please feel free to comment on the podcast and reach out in any way. And you can also check out James's work by going to jamesbarrett.com. And please check out James's book called Our Final Invention. And just before you do continue with your day on this big blue rock that's hurling through space, you can now support the podcast via our Patreon page. And if you are enjoying the podcast and it's really helping you on your journey, Patreon really is the best way to support the podcast. So please go to our Patreon page and check out the cool rewards. Take a few minutes and see if any suit you. So thanks again, for listening to the podcast and we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Peace.